So we're looking at a, a tough book to understand, a mysterious book here on Wednesday night. Uh, but we're making it. We're learning. We're understanding it. Zechariah chapter 2 this evening. And if you're using a Bible under the seat in front of you, page 1091, that'll get you to the beginning of Zechariah. Love to have you read along. Father, I pray as we turn attention, our attention to your word that you would give us wonderful insight into it, greatly encourage your people by the plan that you have. Lord, we'd love to know that you are in control, you're in charge. And we see that so clearly in your word. Bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So remember in about 539 B.C., Zechariah came back to the city of Jerusalem out of captivity from Babylon. And he came with guys like Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, and later Ezra and Nehemiah would show up. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, Jerusalem was a pile of rubble. It had been completely destroyed. And their job was to rebuild the city, rebuild the temple, rebuild all of the different buildings in the city of Jerusalem, and rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem. Zechariah was raised up to encourage those Jews to do that work. He was a prophet, and the Lord used him to encourage the Jews. And the Lord actually gave Zechariah the prophet eight visions on one night, which he then delivered to those Jewish people. All of them meant to encourage them. We looked at the first two visions last week. Tonight we're going to look at the third vision recorded here in chapter 2. And in this vision... God says to his people through Zechariah, I have huge plans for the city of Jerusalem. I'm going to accomplish something big time in Jerusalem. So look at the vision, verse 1, Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah says, then I raised my eyes and looked. And behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. Now that right there, that part of the vision would have been so encouraging to the Jews there. There's a surveyor. He's going to be able to measure the length and width of the city. Jerusalem's going to be rebuilt. Awesome, let's get to work. But look what he goes on to say, verse 3. And there was the angel who talked with me, going out, 
And another angel was coming out to meet him, who said to him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls, because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. So, you see what happens. This guy's going to go measure the city. An angel says to the other angel, wait, go stop that guy. Tell him he doesn't need to measure the city. Those measurements are going to be outdated soon. Jerusalem is going to be massive. Massive. It's going to be towns within the city of Jerusalem. Many, many multitudes of people will live in Jerusalem. Livestock will fill Jerusalem. In other words, it'll be this prosperous city. There won't need to be any walls, God says, because I'll be their firewall. I'll be the wall around, and I will exist right there in the midst of Jerusalem. All right. Verse 6. The vision continues. Up. Up. Flee from the land of the Lord. North, says the Lord. For I have spread you abroad like the four winds of heaven, says the Lord. Up, Zion. Escape, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, he sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For surely I will shake my hand against them, and they shall become spoil for their servants. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. So here's another promise. I'm going to redeem my people. I'm going to bring my people into Jerusalem. I'm going to shake down all of the nations that plundered them. And they will live in safety within the city of Jerusalem. By the way, did you notice that God calls the nation of Israel the apple of his eye? Do you know that is the most tender part? Your eyeball. So tender. And the most tenderest part of the eyeball is the pupil, the apple. God says, anybody who touches the nation of Israel touches the apple of my eye. Makes me think of the promise that God made to Abraham way back. Those who bless you will be blessed and those who curse you will be what? curse. I'll tell you what, we better be pro-Israel, amen? I feel sorry for any nation that comes against the nation of Israel. It's like poking God in the eye, and he's going to react. So, 
This is an incredible promise about this massive Jerusalem and the Jews coming back. Now, you remember last week I told you about this phenomena of Old Testament prophecy. Many of the Old Testament prophecies are like looking through a bifocal lens. There's a near-sighted fulfillment, and then there's a far-sighted fulfillment. And you see that right here in this vision. In the near term, God will be bringing Jews back from Babylon. Remember, they were taken captive there. So he says, up, up, flee from the land of the north. That's where Babylon was. Escape, you who dwell in the daughter of Babylon. So God is saying, get back to Jerusalem. And God is saying, we're going to rebuild that city and that temple. And that was fulfilled. But there's much more to this, as you just read. There's this idea of this massive Jerusalem that's coming one day, and all of these Jews being safe within it. And look at verse 11. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people, and I will dwell in your midst. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and the Lord will take possession of Judah as his inheritance in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. So, the vision continues to go on to explain that in this massive city of Jerusalem, many nations other than Israel, will be safe within those walls and will be joined to the Lord. So Gentile nations. Now that has never happened in history. So the long-term picture of this prophecy is that there is coming a time when there's going to be a massive city of Jerusalem The Lord will be present in the city of Jerusalem. He'll protect the city of Jerusalem. And it will be filled with his people, Jewish and Gentile, from every nation. Now that has not happened in history. So when will this happen? Well, this is one of the many many prophecies that you find in the Old Testament that point forward to what theologians call the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. The Bible clearly predicts that one day the city of Jerusalem will be the capital city of the entire world. And Jesus Christ will literally reign upon that throne For a thousand years. And govern and rule all of planet earth. And Gentiles and Jews alike will be safe and secure in that kingdom. 
And you find this all over the Old Testament. Isaiah says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. All nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. Out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That all describes what's coming. The millennial kingdom, the literal 1,000-year reign of Christ on the throne in Jerusalem. Isaiah 11 speaks of those times. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. A little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Man, I can't wait for the millennial kingdom. I can't wait for Jesus to reign and rule literally in Jerusalem for a thousand years with a massive city of Jerusalem packed full of his people, dwelling in safety and security. Okay, so some of you might think, come on, really? Is that really going to take place? Jesus is literally going to come back and literally reign and rule on planet Earth for a thousand years. He is, and it is miraculous. And I want you to know that that city right there is proof that this is going to take place. The city of Jerusalem is a miracle. And what's going on in Jerusalem today is absolutely miraculous. And it's all coming together in this plan that is leading towards the millennial kingdom. The city of Jerusalem belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to the Jew and it doesn't belong to the Arab. And it doesn't belong to any one of the United States presidents. It doesn't belong to any other country. The city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel belongs to whom? The Lord. It's his land. He's in charge of it. And he has given it to his people. Israel. And it has belonged to them, 
and it belongs to them today despite years and years and years of trouble, heartache. It is an absolute miracle that Jerusalem exists. It is the oldest city, one of the oldest cities on planet Earth. In fact, the first time we hear of the city of Jerusalem in the Bible is way back in Genesis chapter 14. In the days of Abraham, that's 4,000 years ago. Abraham was living in the land. There was a war that took place where his nephew Lot was taken captive up north. Abraham takes some guys. They go. They defeat that army. They come back. They save Lot. And on their way back, a mysterious man meets them. One of the most mysterious characters in the Bible, a guy by the name of Melchizedek. Anybody ever heard of Melchizedek? Genesis chapter 14. He is called a prophet of the Most High. His name means the King of Righteousness. And he's king of a city, way back in Genesis 14. How many of you know the name of that city? Salem. First mention of Jerusalem in the Bible. And this mysterious king in the New Testament is connected to Jesus. And everything about Melchizedek points to Jesus. In fact, many, many Bible scholars, and I would agree with them, believe that Melchizedek is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. The first king of Salem... Jesus, or at least one who definitely points toward Jesus. That tells me Jesus is in charge of Jerusalem. And that city has belonged to him since the beginning of that city. Okay, so several hundred years later, Joshua... He's leading the nation of Israel into the promised land to conquer the promised land. And they go inside, and at that time, there is a king by the name of Adonai Zedek, who is the king of the city of Jerusalem. It's a pagan city at that time. Joshua leads his people in. They conquer the city, and they take it over, and Jerusalem becomes a part of the tribe of Benjamin, but they don't hold on to Jerusalem. In the book of Judges, Jerusalem is called Jebus, and it's inhabited by the Jebusites, a pagan nation taken from the Jews. And they're under the Jebusites for many, many years until. 1004 BC, when King David becomes king of Israel and he captures Jerusalem from the Jebusites, makes it the capital city of Israel, right in the heart of the land. King David brings the tabernacle, 
and the Levites into Jerusalem, fortifies the city, and it becomes this strong, amazing city as the capital of Jerusalem, of Israel. David's son, by the name of Solomon, rises to power next. He puts this beautiful temple right there in the heart of the city of Jerusalem. And at this point, when David's reign into Solomon's reign, the kingdom age of Israel is amazing. It's like the golden age. This is what God wants for his people. And it's during this time where God says to David, I'm going to raise up a king after you who's going to reign forever. My kingdom will reign forever and ever and ever. Well, the Jews do not obey the Lord, as you know. 586, Jerusalem is completely destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian kingdom. They literally came in and they raised the city to the ground. They destroyed Solomon's temple, the walls, all the structures in the city of Jerusalem, and they take all of the Jews that are survived the attack by deportation back to Babylon. Jerusalem is destroyed. There hasn't been a kingdom in Jerusalem since over which the Jewish people are in control. The history goes on. 539 B.C., as I mentioned, guys like Ezra, Zechariah, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, they come back and they rebuild the temple, the walls. Jerusalem is rebuilt. They live there, although it's pale in comparison to what it was under David and Solomon. So they're back in the land, but Persia's still in charge. Eventually, the Grecian Empire comes to power, Alexander the Great on the scene. And when you get into like 350 BC, there's a a Grecian leader by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, who again comes to Jerusalem, utterly destroys the temple, tears it down, desecrates it. Once again, Jerusalem, most of it in ruins. In 167 BC, Judas the Maccabee is raised to power and he goes and he repairs the temple and he leads the Jews in in a way that they recover the temple area in the city of Jerusalem and they occupy it for a while, but never with full power because right about that time, the Roman Empire comes into power and Pompeii, comes and takes over Jerusalem and controls it. During that time, Herod the Great rebuilds the temple in Jerusalem. Now this is Jerusalem in the days when Jesus comes on the scene at his first coming. Jerusalem is this marvelous city. The temple is marvelous. The priesthood is in operation Everything looks great except Rome's in charge. 
Israel's not in charge. In 70 AD, the Jews try to take over Jerusalem. They are squashed by Rome. Many Jews were slaughtered. And at that time, Herod's temple was brought down, completely destroyed. And since 70 AD, there has not been a temple in the city of Jerusalem. Gone. Many Jews were scattered. In 135 AD, the Jews tried to rebound and retake Jerusalem. They were utterly crushed. And at that point, Jews were kicked out of Jerusalem and nobody was allowed back in. No Jew was allowed back in. And Rome rebuilt a Roman city over the city of Jerusalem and even put some of their uh, blasphemous idolatry right there on the Temple Mount. Nation of Israel scattered abroad. Right around 300 A.D., one of the emperors of Rome, a guy by the name of Constantine, gets saved. He becomes a Christian. And he starts to Christianize the Roman Empire. And that begins what's called the Byzantine era, where they once again allowed Jews to come back into Jerusalem. And many Christians came into Jerusalem. And many churches were built all over the different holy sites in Jerusalem. And it was that way for several hundred years. But then right around 600 AD, a new religion was born. Anybody want to guess what religion was born? Islam. Muhammad. The Muslims took over the city of Jerusalem in 637 AD. And they held it for the next 350 plus years. During that time, in 691 AD, they built the Dome of the Rock on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem where the old, test, old temple used to be. 1099, the Crusaders come to power. You heard of the Crusaders? Now, these are the Christians, very misguided Christians, who got it in their head that they're going to take Jerusalem, and they went to Jerusalem, and they took it, and they slaughtered Muslims, and they slaughtered Jews, forcing a political Christianity upon the Holy Land. That, by the way, is still why Jews to this very day have a hard time accepting Christians. Because of the crusaders. And that was done for a couple of hundred years. In 1180 AD, the Muslims again take over and maintain control of Jerusalem for the next several hundred years until 1917 AD. Now, all this history. Jerusalem was destroyed and rebuilt over the last 2,500 years. Every time the Muslims were in charge, they'd go into the city and destroy all the synagogues and the churches. 
Then when the Christians would come on board, they'd go in and destroy all the mosques and build new churches. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Jerusalem has been completely razed to the ground 17 times. It's been besieged at least 50 times, attacked in the exchanging of hands close to 100 times throughout all of history. Ancient Jerusalem lies buried from 30 to 100 feet below the level of the present city. It's a wonder it even exists. As World War I began to close, 1917, British takes control of Jerusalem. And the British mandate is imposed. And under that mandate, Jews were allowed to come back in and actually live in the city of Jerusalem. May 14th, 1948, a date that every Christian should know, the state of Israel was born again in the land of Israel. Now, when that state was born, Israel was immediately attacked on all sides by the Arab nations. They were able to hold off and actually capture more ground. However, under the government powers to be, Jerusalem was not given to Israel at that time. They had to share it. Jerusalem was split in half. And Israel was given half, and Jordan was given another half. Well, 1967, a war took place that's called the Six-Day War. Again, Jerusalem was attacked on all sides, and they won. They defended their homeland, and during that time, they captured the entire city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem became the capital city of Israel just really a few years ago, 1967. Then in 1973, another war, the War of Yom Kippur. On the holiest day of the year, Jordan and others, other nations again attacked. And again, Israel defended, I believe, by help from God himself. And they were able to expand their city and their land again. And so today... 2,500 years after the kingdom was ended under King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, 2,500 years later, never ever once controlling the land or being in charge, we now have a Jerusalem that belongs to the state of Israel. Israel is in charge of that land. They're in control. 2016 census, eight and a half million Jews live there. 866,000 live in the city of Jerusalem. 40,000 
live in that old city of Jerusalem. It's a miracle. It is a miracle that the nation of Israel has lasted this long. It is a miracle that there's still this city of Jerusalem. And it is a miracle now that they are back in the land just as all of the Old Testament prophecies predict. And we got to see it in our generation. And it's real. I've had the pleasure of going to the land of Israel several times. And I'll tell you, it's all real. There's a real Sea of Galilee, folks. And I got to play my guitar on a boat while we were sailing on it. And we had our group there and we sang to the Lord on the Sea of Galilee, the sea that Jesus walked on. There's a real Jordan River. My family was baptized in it last time. July 2018 was our last trip there. This is one of the most amazing places that I just saw on my last tour to Israel. They uncovered a synagogue in the city of Magdala, right on the outskirts of the Sea of of Galilee. And they no doubt, that's a synagogue that dates back literally to the days of Jesus Christ. They're they're 100% convinced Jesus stood right there and preached in that synagogue. There's a real tunnel. I got my wife up there. She's so cute. There's a real tunnel called Hezekiah's Tunnel. Gang, Hezekiah built that tunnel way back in 700 B.C., 2,700 years ago. And you can walk through it. It's all there. In the city of Jerusalem, you'll find a room that looks like the upper room in which the disciples met with Jesus. Outside the city of Jerusalem, there's the garden tomb. And it's a tomb that dates back to the day, it very much like the, the very tomb that Jesus would have been laid in. And that's my son checking it out. But by far... The most amazing moment to me is when you sit on the Mount of Olives and you look at the city of Jerusalem and you think of all that's happened and all that it has become. There we are at the Wailing Wall, as it's called. It's there, it's real. Those walls date back to uh, Solomon's temple, some of them, down below. And on a few tours, I've actually been able to go up onto the Temple Mount itself and walk around on that Temple Mount. That Temple Mount, that area is the most valuable real, real estate on planet Earth. 
it is the holiest site for three world religions. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And it is still the center of world controversy. And it continues to be this constant, constant hotspot. So, Jerusalem is what it is today. The Jews are back in the land. And it is absolutely poised, ready to become that millennial kingdom. The Bible teaches that when Israel's back in the land, they'll be surrounded by countries that hate them. Check. They'll be speaking their old language, Hebrew. Check. They'll have the Torah. Check. Eventually, a new temple will be built. People are already making plans for that. Temple Institute. Check it out. The Bible teaches that it will become the center of controversy on the world stage. Eventually, there's going to be an Antichrist that comes on board, gets peace in the Middle East right there in Jerusalem, brings everyone together, and then eventually, he'll break his treaty with Israel, show his true colors, desecrate the temple once again, The nations will hound Israel. They'll come against Israel. They'll come against God's people. And Jesus will come again. At the second coming, he will destroy the Antichrist. And Jesus Christ will set up his millennial kingdom. And we are right at that stage where that can happen at any time. And I would say, just look at Jerusalem. Can you believe the Bible? Just look at Jerusalem. Can you believe the prophecies of Old Testament Scripture? Just look at Jerusalem. Just look at Israel. Just look how it's all lined up. Wonderful city going all the way back to 519 B.C. when Zechariah gives this prophecy. Jerusalem, big plans. Now, my brother and sister in Christ, you can count on it. The Lord is going to keep his word. The Lord is going to do this. And it's very important that we're on his side. Amen? So you remember Jerusalem for all of this, but don't forget one of the greatest events that also took place in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. The Son of God left heaven, came to earth, became man, came to his city, was rejected. He went to the cross and the sins of the world were placed upon him. 
And he died in the place of sinners and rose again the third day so that we could be forgiven. Everything about Jerusalem, the plan of salvation, the plan of redemption, the coming kingdom. In fact, the second time Jerusalem is mentioned in the Bible, I skipped that on purpose. First time was Salem, right? Melchizedek. Second time that Jerusalem is mentioned in the Bible is when God commands Abraham to go to Mount Moriah to sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac. You remember that story? The test right there. And of course, Abraham was going to go through with the test and the knife's up and he's going to slay and God says, hold it. You've passed the test. The Lord will provide himself a lamb in that very place. And 2,000 years later, Jesus Christ shows up. Everything about Jerusalem is special. Now tonight we are seated at the communion table. And I want you to remember all that God has done and all that he's going to do. But I specifically want you to remember what he did at Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? And why don't we turn down the lights? The guys that are going to help me distribute, come on up. Lord, we thank you for the promises in your word. Every promise you make, you'll keep. We thank you for the victory that is ultimately coming. Thank you for the miracle of your people, Israel. And we pray for the peace of Jerusalem even tonight. And Lord, we're so thankful tonight in in your mind's eye from the very beginning before the foundations of the earth were formed. how you knew you would provide your son on that little hill outside Jerusalem. How you have provided the way for us to be saved, 
for real. We're reminded tonight that you really came. You really died. You really took our place. As we take these elements, we remember your great sacrifice. It makes us want to serve you, worship you, live for you. Lord, I want to pray for anyone here tonight who has not yet received you. Maybe you're here tonight and you've not received Christ as your Lord and Savior. He died for you. He rose again. The Bible says you can't be saved any other way. Only through faith in Christ Jesus. Have you done that? I would invite you right now, if you have not yet received Christ as your Lord and Savior, before you partake of communion, because this ordinance is for people who know what they're doing. In partaking of this communion, you recognize what Christ has done and you've placed your faith in him and you take these elements in remembrance of him. So I would invite you, if you have not yet received him, that you do so right now. And if that's you, just in the quietness of your heart, You say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have blown it. And I thank you that you have made a way for my sins to be forgiven. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And rising again that third day. And I invite you to be my Lord. Wash away all my sins. Make me a part of what you're doing. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to live for you. Okay, we're going to pass out these elements, and I would ask that you just remain seated in in a time of uh, reverence. If you're, man, thank the Lord for who he is, what he's done, what he's going to do. It's always a good time at the table if there's things that you need to change in your life that you would come to the Lord with that. Ask him to help you be a better witness for him. We're going to pass these out. We'll all partake it together as one body. So hold on to it and we'll take as a church family.